And as Paul said, we're going to be talking about Truth Church. Acts 2.42, this is really where we began our series, and I'm coming back to this verse again this morning. For the sake of context, uh, we'll start in verse 40. This is the day of Pentecost. This is the Apostle Peter preaching to thousands of people, and he says, it says, with many other words, he warned them. He pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then verse 42 gives us this description of these first believers, of this first church in Jerusalem. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, I I know um, I'm going to maybe sound like a bit of a country bumpkin here when I mention uh, this next illustration, but tomorrow, uh, for some of us, you know, the first Monday of of November is, uh, I won't call it a national holiday or religious holiday, but it's deer season, it's hunting season, it starts tomorrow. And uh, I don't have any holiday time left, really, but for generations where my dad lives and his dad before him, uh, there has been a deer hunt in the Bancroft area. I don't know if you can see that picture better than I can at the back. Uh, The traditional deer hunt that happens in eastern Ontario is a hunt that happens with hounds. And I don't know if that sounds strange to you. Uh, The the dogs go into the big woods of eastern Ontario and they, they scent the deer and they chase the deer out. Uh, this is a pretty fascinating thing to watch. And it reminds me of this word that we've just seen in verse 42 about being devoted to. The early believers devoted themselves to, or that says in other versions, they continued steadfastly. It's a compound word that's being translated there. One means direction, and the other word means uh, with, with intensity. It's this idea of movement in a specific direction, along with the idea of, of intensity, of, of perseverance. And you can actually see it in this picture. Uh, a dog who is trained, and so these are hounds, and I don't know how many of you know much about dogs, but a dog who is trained uh, to chase up an animal lives for this moment. You can see these dogs, they're on the leash, they are ready to go, uh, there is this intensity. Now this is what a preacher wants to see on Sunday morning. Not that you look like dogs or anything like that, Uh, No wagging tails, no tongues sticking out. But that there be a leaning in, that we lean against that leash, that we we have this intensity towards God's word, that we long to know it, that that we persevere in it. And I wonder how many of us actually come on Sunday mornings with that kind of intensity when the word of God is opened and taught. I wonder how many of us live our lives with that kind of intensity. We And remember, these believers that we're reading about here in Acts 2.42, they didn't have a Bible. Uh, Some of them may have had copies, or at least some of the apostles might have had copies of the Old Testament, but they wouldn't probably have had their own copies of the Old Testament. There was no New Testament. And they leaned into the Word of God that they were being taught through the apostles. They hungered, they longed to know what is the truth of God. 
And now here in our day, we not only have Bibles in our own language, there are how many English translations that we can choose from? There are how many resources available to us online so that we can study the Bible and learn it and understand it? There are so many people in our culture who are taught and are good at teaching the Word of God. Do we lean in? That's the idea that's being communicated here in Acts 2.42. These early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, I have friends in this area who uh, use hounds to chase coyotes, coyotes. And I've been told stories of hounds that will chase a coyote for up to 25 miles. Just relentless. And that's the spirit and the heart that I want us to see God would have us to have for his word. Now, if we were to trace through the book of Acts, and I'm not going to take time to do this, we would find that this is the pattern all through the book of Acts. Where the apostles went, the word of God went. Where the believers were, the word of God was. And and it's just all through. In fact, those of you who are in small groups, you're going to have a look at Acts chapter 18 this week. And just in that one chapter, I'm going to have you trace through uh, how many times we see the theme of God's word or of truth or of teaching coming out in that one chapter alone. But I want you to notice uh, something uh, that's really interesting here. And uh, I've lost a slide. I, that's right. I wanted you to look at it for yourself. So go back to chapter 1 if you've got your Bible there. And I want you to look at the very first verse of the book of Acts. We're talking about an authentic church is a truth church. It's a truth that's all about the Word of God. Notice what the, the author Luke writes to his friend Theophilus. Now remember, uh, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke to this friend Theophilus. And then he writes the book of Acts. Some people actually think these are just one book. Luke and Acts go together. But the same author to the same recipient, look what he says. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Very interesting. Now, uh, I don't always like to have you flip around in your Bibles, but just go to the very last verse of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 28 if you've got a Bible there, and I want you to see the very last verse. The first verse said, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And then the very last verse of the book of Acts, you can start in verse 30 if you want. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Do you see it there? The bookends of the book of Acts have in their theme the idea of the teaching of God's word. And if you take the very first verse of the book of Acts, what you have is Luke saying, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels tell the story of Jesus, and the story of Jesus is primarily a story of him teaching. He came as a teacher. And then you get to the end of the book of, the, of, of Acts and you have Paul the Apostle, perhaps the greatest apostle, who's still doing the same thing. Luke's words here that Jesus began to do and to teach imply that the book of Acts tells the story of its continuation. The Gospels tell the beginning of what Jesus did in his own life and body. The book of Acts tells the story of what Jesus did through his people through the church, 
which makes sense because the Bible says that the church is the body of Christ. We're literally his hands, his feet, feet, his mouth. What a privilege we have to continue the work of Jesus. He started this work in the Gospels. It continues in the book of Acts. It continues to this very day. I wonder how many of us find this idea of teaching and learning and information and all of those kinds of things somewhat nauseating. I mean, if I were to take a show of hands, then why not? Let's just do this. How many of us, how many of you at some point in your life have said this? I hate school. Go ahead. I, I think I've said that. There are way too many hands uh, up, and some of you are lying. I see Brad's not even paying attention. See? He's not even paying attention. <clears throat> Sorry, Brad. Good friend. There's something about learning that there's, there's a tediousness to it. Sometimes we find it tedious because of the nature of the topic. Sometimes we find it tedious because just our own nature is, I'd rather go play a game. I'd rather go do something fun. I don't want to have to sit and learn. But what we're finding in God's word is that learning is essential to understanding who God is and to living the life that he has called us to live. How do we know that? We can go all the way back to the beginning where we find that God said something. The only reason we're here is because God spoke. And creation and the universe came into existence because God communicated. His creativity and his power literally spoken out of him and into existence. And then what did God do? He made human beings in his image who were capable of, yes, speaking of hearing communication, of hearing information, taking it in, applying it to their own lives, and then imparting it to someone else. That's what it means to be made in God's image. We can hear information, we can learn that information, we can impart it to others. And God communicated uh, some commandments to his people. Yes, even very, at the very beginning, God gave instructions to his people. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And he talked about what their responsibilities would be in the earth, that they were to uh, oversee the world and be its caretakers in a sense. But then, <clears throat> in chapter 3, we find someone else speaking. Most of you would know who this is. He said to the woman, did God really say? That is Satan, the devil, the great enemy of God's people, coming into the world and coming into interfere with humanity and with God's purposes for humanity and how does he do it with a lie with words with instructions that were false notice what he says did God really say calling into question the God who speaks their, their very existence came from the spoken power of God and now Satan's going to come along and say did God really say can we, can we really trust this God who speaks? Of course we can. But Satan was successful in undermining God's truth and God's word and God's commands to the point where men and women disobeyed God, listened to the lie, and all hell broke loose and has ever since. God is a God who speaks. He spoke at the very beginning. Satan came and lied, interfered with God's truth. People chose to believe Satan instead. And then 
the story of redemption begins to unfold. It begins with a period of time where God doesn't speak. And he allows people just to go, do what you want to do, whatever. This is the world you want to live in, you can have it. And that culminates in the time of Noah when uh, by their own uh, decisions and, and, and actions, the world had become so corrupt and so uh, horrific that God sent a worldwide flood. So that first period of time, we see this is what happens when God doesn't speak. And then starting with Noah and then on to Abraham, we find God, his word, he begins to interject. He begins to speak. And he speaks to Noah and he says, build an ark. And then later he's going to speak to Abraham and he says, leave your country and come to a land that I will show you and you will be my people and your offspring will be my people. And from them comes the nation of, of Israel who populate in the land of Egypt as slaves. But then God speaks in the burning bush to Moses and Moses comes and speaks for God to the Israelites and to Pharaoh in Egypt. And from Moses, once the people are rescued from Egypt, they go into the wilderness, and what does God do? He speaks, and he gives his word, and he gives his Ten Commandments, and he gives his law, and he teaches his people to follow his word. And when Moses dies and Joshua takes over to lead the people into the promised land, what does God say to him in Joshua chapter 1? This book of the law will not depart from your mouth. And then we talked about when when Israel asked for a king and God gave instructions, here's what your king should do if you want a king over you. And literally, the king, when he, he was inaugurated and came into power, the first thing the king was supposed to do is write out the Old Testament law by hand. Why? Because the one who leads and rules the people of God needs to lead and rule based on the word of God. But the story of Israel's history is a story of the rejection of God's word. Over and over again, they reject God's commands. They reject God and the truth that God had revealed about himself. And they reject it. And what did God do? He sent prophets who said this. Thus, do you know it? Thus, King James, saith the Lord. This is what God says. And again and again, prophets sent to speak for God. And even Jonah to non-Jewish people, to the Ninevites, and speaking for God and giving his word until finally the greatest communication of all came in a person. When the God of creation, Jesus Christ, came into our world and the Bible literally calls him the Word. What does that mean? It just means word. That's all it means. Logos. It's a very common word in the Bible. But it's applied here to Jesus to, to communicate to us that Jesus is the, in fact, the book of Hebrews tells us this, that God's spoken in many ways in times past, but now he's spoken through his son, Jesus. This is the ultimate word from God. Why? Because now God has come into the world that he, that he created, and now he is not only communicating God's word and the good news of redemption, but he's literally living out in a human life what it looks like to follow the word of God and literally to put it into action. So Jesus himself is described as the Logos. He is the expression of who God is. 
And this word, John says, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We all know this famous verse. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, our culture has come to have a very shady view of the idea of truth. In the last 50 years, it's become very common and very normal. First of all, for culture to say that there is no absolute truth. There's, you, you can't say that one thing is true and another thing is not true. And, and if you ever hear someone say that to you, uh, ask them when they're done you know, making that strong statement, uh, ask them, is what you just said true? That there's no truth? So, is that true? And it's a self-defeating argument. It's a, it's a simply, it's a simply a self-defeating argument. To boldly stand and proclaim with authority, with a sense of truth, with right and wrong, black and white, there is no absolute truth. Self-defeating. And now in our day and in our culture, and I, I think especially of the younger generations, truth has become very personal. Truth is what works for you. Truth is what makes you feel good. And who am I? Who are you to tell me what works for me and what works for you? And all that matters is, is that we be true to ourselves. That's, that's the catchword of our culture. Be true to yourself. And I want to say to the young people, this has deeply impacted your thinking about the world. I understand from some uh, Bible college and seminary people that I know that it is very common now for students to come into Bible college and seminary questioning whether it's even appropriate to evangelize and to declare the truth of the good news because why would we impose our truth upon someone else? Uh, that's a scary thing because if that's the case then we've lost our anchor. We've lost our mooring to who God actually is and to the fact that he is a God who speaks and has spoken. This idea of no absolute truth is nonsense, and I say that trying to be gracious, but just think of it simply this way. If you've invested a million dollars, and you go to your uh, investment advisor, and you ask for an update on how your investments are doing, if he were to say to you, you know what, I've kind of lost track of that money. Uh, I'm not really sure where it is, and I can't really tell you how much interest it's earned. Well, that doesn't stand with us. There's, there's black and white things in life, and money is one of them. Or when's the last time you flew in, a, in an airplane or in a jet? Do you want the, the uh, pilot to come over the loudspeaker and say, folks, I, just so you know, I don't believe in absolute truth, and I'm not looking at the gauges at all, my hands aren't on the steering stick, whatever happens, happens. Well, that doesn't stand. Or we go, into, uh, uh, we go to the operating room, and we find out that the surgeon takes this view of medicine and of surgery, that truth is just whatever he feels it is for that day. And whether he takes your spleen or your <laughs> whatever he takes, it doesn't matter. 
That doesn't fly. That doesn't make sense. Even music. We can't, we can't sing today if Diane decides to play in B-flat and I decide to play in A-flat. I mean, can't we just do what we want to do? Then everything breaks down. It's just so obvious. Climb to the top of this building, jump off. There's an absolute truth called gravity. It's built into everything in our world. It's so interesting that people who could look around and see a universe, and of course many people might want to say there is no God behind our universe, but where so much law and, and so much truth is built into this world we live in, but when it comes to understanding the, the greater cause behind it all, we can say, ah, well, whatever works for you. That's absurd. I'm just going to call it what it is. It's absurd. It doesn't make any sense. What makes sense is that there is a God who spoke us into existence, a God who speaks even, some would say, even our very DNA is a message from God, a communication about who we are as human beings. So I've digressed a little bit. Why does it matter that we as the people of God, as the church of God, why does it matter that we would take a stand for truth? It matters because that's the kind of God we have. He is a God of truth. He's a God of information. And he knows that for us to thrive as human beings made in his image requires that we know him and we know his instructions and we know his commands, we know his word. Our thriving as human beings is completely tied to whether we know and understand and believe the truth of God's word. Our thriving as human beings is totally tied to that. Are we like the dog on the leash, give me more. I long to know more of God's word. Or have we become flippant about God's word? Many have said in our day and in our culture, the church has become biblically illiterate. We don't know God's word. And it's simply why we struggle with so many aspects of life. We struggle with sin. We struggle with, in some cases, I know in my own life, challenges of emotional health simply because I was believing lies about myself and about my life and about God. We need to know God's truth. I want us to consider the value of truth. Why is it that we need to know God's truth? And some obvious things here. Number one, truth informs us about God and his ways. So we believe that God is the one who made us. He's the one who placed us here. We are made in his image. So to actually understand what life is about and to live it successfully requires that we understand who God is and his ways. How is it that he wants us to live? What does it mean to be made in his image? How do we live as human beings? And then secondly, truth informs us about ourselves and our predicament. Uh, the reason we have good news in the Bible is because we, as sinful human beings, have created some seriously bad news. We have a need for redemption, not, not just because Adam and Eve sinned, but because all of us have chosen to turn away from and reject the truth of God that he's revealed to us. So truth informs us about ourselves. This is what, this is what it means to be human. This is why we have this sin problem describes our predicament for us, reminds us that there is a holy God that we are accountable to. 
And then truth in its most wonderful form is the truth of redemption or the truth of the gospel. God's truth informs us about the good news. How Jesus came not just as the word of God, but as the lamb of God. The one who would die for us in our place so that our brokenness and our sinfulness could be healed and redeemed so that we could be brought back to our creator and redeemed into his presence. Truth informs us about this good news. And of course, this is the truth that we find all through the book of Acts and all through the Gospels, this good news of redemption, which wasn't just taught to unbelievers, it was continually taught to the believers as well. And then truth enables us to know God. To be made in the image of God means that we're capable of having a relationship with God, and relationships are always built on knowledge. Husbands, that's why our, our wives get so frustrated when we don't talk to them. Very difficult to have a relationship with someone uh, when we don't talk. Sometimes I come home and I'm tired and I don't feel like talking. And Diana's got lots of questions. She wants to know how did the day go and what happened here and who was there and what, how did it go. And information and communication is what relationships are built on. So knowing God's truth enables us to know God. And then finally this one. Truth transforms us. You understand that? Truth transforms us. This is God's purpose of redemption. Not this that we'd get our sins forgiven, that we'd get some kind of a ticket out of, uh, out of, uh, out of hell and, and have some kind of a ticket into heaven, but that we'd literally be transformed. And over and over and over again, the Bible tells us the transformation comes through information. It comes through knowing God's word. What are some examples of that? Can you think of any? Jesus said, uh, you will know the truth and truth will set you free. Paul wrote that we could be um, transformed by the renewing of what? Our minds. We renew our minds by the word of God. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5 about about Christ and his church and how the church is like the bride of Christ and how he is making his people holy or his bride holy by what? By the washing of the word. We want to be transformed. That, that's, what, uh, that's what our our discipleship pathway is all about. We want to be like Jesus. How does it happen? How is a person translated, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? It happens through the truth of the gospel. Paul wrote, how can they hear without a preacher? People need to hear the good news. And then even after we're believers, how are we transformed into the person of Christ? It's through the truth of God's word. Imagine where we might be today if we had invested in God's word with all of the resources that we have at our disposal today. If you, if you sit in your car a lot, you can be listening to the Bible, uh, the audio Bible. I was going to say Bible on cassette. Probably not that one. <clears throat> but you can be listening to the audio Bible. You can be listening to great preaching as you drive your car. And my computer has given up the ghost. If, you, if you're in your home and you're working around your home and you're doing laundry or making meals, you, you can be 
hearing the word of God. We have all of these resources. And yet so often it's just easier to just listen to the radio and not take advantage of the opportunities we have to invest in God's word. An authentic church is a truth church. A church where people strain at that leash, longing to know more of God's word. So what a great announcement for these women here about an opportunity to learn how to study the Bible. That's something that we'd like to see more and more of and provide, provide information and teaching on those things. Last thing I want to say is this. Our culture is, and I've already mentioned it, but our culture is putting tremendous pressure on God's people when it comes to this idea of truth. And it's, it's affecting the church. It's affecting professing believers. And some of the key ways that this is happening in our day is around the areas of sexuality and gender. And our culture, of course, is attempting to change the definition of marriage and the definition of sexuality and the definition of gender. And what is our response to that? How do we handle that as believers? And of course, the truth is that we want to uphold the truth of God's word. But didn't you love the way Jesus was described there? He's the uh, he's the word, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only uh, one of the, of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here's what happens. When we encounter people who have a different definition of gender, or a different definition of sexuality or sexual orientation, we can be gracious. And in fact, the reason that many people are struggling with that is the same reason that we struggle with our own sexuality and sin. It's because we're broken and sinful people. And we of all people should know that there's redemption for that. There's a savior for that. So when we meet people with a different definition, we can be compassionate and gracious. But we will never, we will never change the definition of marriage or of sexuality or of gender because we are the people of God the Bible says, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. That means that in our world today and in our culture today, the church will always stand for the truth. We will be like a pillar, unmovable, unshakable. We understand this is what God has said, and we will not move from it. We will be gracious. We will invite sinners just as we've been invited to find redemption in Jesus, but we will not change definitions in order to try and win our culture because we can't win our culture when we've changed the word of God. We can't do it. So that is our desire as a church, as an eldership, is that we would be like Jesus, full of grace and truth, unwavering, unshakable truth, we want to be the pillar and ground of the truth, but we want to be gracious to people around us who, like us, are broken, who, like us, are confused or were confused. May God make that true of us at Wallenstein Bible Chapel. So as I close, in my challenge is, are we pulling at the leash? Have we got that relentless desire to know God and to know his word? We have so much opportunity to know it, and through his word to know him. May it be true of us. 
We're going to close with a couple of songs uh, that will challenge us uh, in terms of our commitment to the Lord. Uh, This first song, God, I pray, Father, that we would tremble before your word, that we would have a healthy fear of the Lord, but that as we come to your word, we'd find a God who is a father, who loves us, who died to save us. Through your word, Lord, may we know you. Uh, Help us to understand who you are and who we are and how you'd have us live as your people. And Lord, help us not only to live your word, uh, but to know it, to share it with others. Thank you for those words about Jesus who who, uh, began to do and to teach. Lord, may that be true of us, words and deeds that align with you and your word. May that be true of us in the week ahead. Uh, Lord, go before us now. May we bring you honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Maybe seated.